Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to the podcast. And in this podcast, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the subject of not expecting too much from people. Not expecting too much from people. And I decided to make this podcast because I found myself often falling into the trap of expecting too much from other people in the sense that if you think that there's a way forward, if you see that there's a solution to a problem, or if you think that there's a certain way that a person should resolve a certain problem, you want to advise that person. You want to try to help that person. But experience tells us that it's not that simple. It's just not that simple. We can't impose things on other people. We can't make them see the world the way we see the world. However much we'd like to, however much we want to, we just can't do that. And I realized that in many ways, this is a real source of frustration that I've had throughout my life. Um, Whether it's dealing with uh, family, friends, uh, clients, various different scenarios you think that you can see a solution to a problem and you want to be a a problem-solving type of individual. If you're the type of person who likes to communicate, if you're the type of person who likes to see problems solved, it's very difficult just to sit on the sidelines, on your hands, and watch someone go down a path that you know is ruinous, that you know is destructive, that you know is only going to lead to more problems and not do anything about it. It's very, very difficult. And so I thought to myself that if I'm feeling consternation about this, a lot of other people must be feeling the same thing. So I thought, okay, maybe this is worth a podcast. Maybe this is worth discussing. And then, you know, the idea really germinated when I was reading more and more about my about the life of someone, that I, a literary figure that I admire greatly, uh, Francesco Petrarca, Petrarch in English. And readers may recall that I've written many articles drawing on Petrarca's uh, letters, his philosophy of life, his thoughts. I have a great deal of affection for this writer, for this guy, even though we're separated by a, uh, a span of many centuries. He was a 14th century Italian literary figure considered by many to be the father of the Renaissance, the father of the Italian Renaissance. But I have a great fondness for this guy. There's something about this guy that really, really draws me in. I really connect with his, uh, his views of, of life, of the world. Uh, and to me, he is just as human as if uh, I were dealing with a contemporary in many ways. Of course, you know, you can make allowances for... Um, differences in time and space and culture, but the, the the feeling is the same. Anyway, from reading a lot about uh, Petrarch's life, uh, I found out that he suffered personally a great deal of anguish, a great deal of anguish from the fact that his son did not really live up to his expectations. His son just was not up to the expectations that this giant, this literary giant and cultural giant set for him. And let me explain to you a little bit more about uh, the details. Uh, Petrarch's son's name was uh, Giovanni, Giovanni di Francesco Petrarca. 
and his lifespan, he was born in 1337 and died of the plague in Milan, I think, in 1361. Okay, so he died very young. And he was an, an illegitimate son. In those days, uh, now, now, Petrarch was not exactly a, uh, a church, uh, he was not a cleric. He, he had been trained and educated within the church, and he um, served popes, and he was a confidant of, of many uh, people, many uh, uh, members of the church. But he actually was not, uh, he, he always preserved his independence. He was never formally a, a formal uh, cleric, or he never held like a, a, a bishopric or, or any kind of uh, official uh, clerical role. He was, a, he was a writer. He was one of the first writers to really earn his living solely by writing. But in any case, in those days, the, the church, the Catholic Church as an institution, was much more powerful than it is now. Uh, it, it, it was not only a spiritual pow power, but it was also a temporal power. It actually had offices and it had, it wielded temporal power, meaning actual real power in the real world. And uh, Petrarch, like many distinguished men of his era, he took mistresses and he had uh, concubines and uh, he, had an, he had an illegitimate son that was born in, in 1337. The, the son was born in Avignon in, in France. At, at that time, Avignon was the seat of the papacy because there had been a removal of the, the papacy due to political disputes that I don't, I don't want to get into, but the papacy had been moved from Rome to Avignon uh, in the Babylonian captivity is what this is called. Um, before the church uh, schisms were worked out and, and resolved, which they were eventually, and then the papacy was moved back to Rome. But in any case, uh, during his time there in, in, uh, in southern France, uh, Petrarch's son was born. And, you know, it was, it was clear from an early age that this son was not really uh, going to be able to live up to the expectations that Petrarch had set for him. He just, he was not interested in, in studies. He was not uh, an achiever. He was basically kind of a dissolute youth. He was more interested in partying, in uh, carousing, in getting into fights. Uh, he, he just wasn't, he was a big disappointment to his father. Uh, the father actually got him, Petrarch actually got uh, Giovanni uh, uh, an administrative post in the church, but the, 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 the son lost it just by getting into disputes, getting into fights, uh, acting crazy, doing stupid things. The full details we don't really know because Petrarch didn't really write about this very much and there aren't a lot of records that preserve the details of it. But it's clear that he was not performing. He was not doing the um, uh, doing what was expected of him. And... Sadly, the son eventually died in Milan during an outbreak of the plague in, um, in 1361. And what's really poignant, what I found very, very poignant, was reading some of the letters that Petrarch the Elder sent to his son. And they're filled with anguish. They're filled with consternation. They're filled, they're filled with pain. They're filled with the real kind of raw emotion that you wouldn't really expect that would take place in the Middle Ages. You know, we like to think that 
in 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 uh, olden days that people were very formal and and in many ways there were there, there were societal prohibitions against really speaking publicly against revealing emotion people would never do then what they do now publicly but privately privately human beings haven't changed in a few hundred years we're all the same as we were and i i found it really poignant let, let me read you something going through a a selection of uh, a historian who collected a, 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 a selection of Petrarch's letters uh, says that on the flyleaf to Petrarch's uh, copy of, of Virgil, he 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 made a note of his when his son died in 1361 of the plague. Petrarch recorded that he wrote it he annotated that in one of his volumes, and he wrote. And you can, and you can just let me just read this to you, and you can just feel the anguish. He says to my Giovanni, a man born to weary and hurt me, who strained me with burdensome and endless preoccupations during his lifetime, and wounded me with sharp pains at his death. You know, I mean, can you imagine writing that about your own son when you realize that he's passed away from? Uh, He's passed away at a very young age. And there's a, another letter that I can read to you, or another sele a selection from one of his other letters. And again, this was a letter of admonition. Petrarch was admonishing his son to try to get him back on the right track. Essentially, Petrarch had to kick him out of the house. What we would today say, you're kicked out of the house. You're, you're gone. Until you mend your wayward ways, my son, you're going to have to leave the house. So the son essentially had to leave, and he took up residence with one of Petrarch's friends, and he kind of uh, did the best he could to survive. But the, the relationship was very, very strained. And this was a letter here that Petrarch wrote to try to get the boy back on the path of, of, uh, of morals and self-respect. He says, believe me, I could love you if you could only love yourself, or at least not hate yourself. And then he goes on to say, And if you are looking for an end to your exile, I want you to know that there shall be none before the end of your sins. My love is defeated, my hope exhausted, my patience used up, and my doorway cannot bear you nor my wall contain you, nor my roof cover you. My ears cannot hear you, nor my eyes see you. So long as you are the youth who left here, you should be ashamed to desire and even hope for your return. To be readmitted here, come back a different man, with a different demeanor and moods, a different kind of swagger, a different gesturing of the hands, a different thrust of breast and neck, a different tone of voice, a different twist of the brow, a different frown of the forehead. Be sure not to bring back any of the character traits that made you most detestable to those whom nature made you most dear to. But above all, cast away the arrogance and contempt with which you are so shamefully swollen. Nothing could be more unworthy and more ugly than that in your condition. The whole world has nothing more low and contemptible as long as your nature stays what it, what it has been until now. And you can just feel the pain and the anguish just dripping from Petrarca's pen as he writes those words. 
you know, and I, as we read those words, you know, you, you, you know, the, maybe some people might be tempted to say, oh, what a horrible thing to say to your own son. What a horrible thing to say. Well, not really, not really, because the tragedy of a situation like this is that both parties really are right. Both parties really have a point. Both perspectives have validity. And this is the real tragedy of this. That the son died really before any kind of reconciliation could have occurred. Who knows? Maybe the son, uh, even though he started out as a wayward youth, maybe he would have eventually corrected himself. Many great men have had this happen to them. Many great men have started out with dissolute ways, with abandonment, with very unpromising starts. And yet they have managed to right themselves, if only they lived long enough. But we'll never know with Giovanni Petrarca because he died because he died. But what I was saying was, both sides in this dispute have a valid position. From the elder's perspective, from the elder Petrarch's perspective, imagine if you're him, you've got a son. Uh, he, Petrarch was, by this time, he, he was a very, very famous man. He was, a, he was a celebrity. He was a literary celebrity. And from his perspective, he probably thought, hey, look, my son, I gave you everything I could give you. I gave you a roof over your head. I gave you the best education that money and opportunity could buy. I gave you a job. I gave you everything. All I asked for you to do was not disgrace me. And more importantly, not disgrace yourself. And that was Petrarch's position, the elder. And from the side of the son... You know, maybe he has his own issues that he's dealing with. Maybe from his perspective, this is what he's thinking. He's thinking, you know, you never respected my mother, dad. You cast her out because we don't, we don't, we actually don't know really who the identity of Giovanni's mother was because she's not known to history. Because in those days, women were not considered important enough to record if they were just a, an illegitimate birth. Maybe she was a servant. Maybe she was a maid. Maybe she was some townswoman. We don't know. But we do know emotions. And even though the mother may not have been formally acknowledged, that, that is something that would have really grated on the son. We can imagine that it must have really tormented him. He may have said, hey, you never, dad, you never acknowledged my mother. You never treated my mother with respect. To her, or, or for you, she was just nothing. And yes, even though you gave me all these material opportunities, you were cold, you were distant, you never cared about, um, uh, you know, actually uh, treating me as, a, as an equal. Because in those days, illegitimacy was a big deal. If you were born outside the uh, confines of marriage, uh, it, uh, it it wasn't maybe as horrible as people might think it was, but there was still some stigma attached to it. You could never quite fully be brought out of the shadows and into the light. And, and for all we know, maybe the son resented this. But again, a lot of this is speculation on my on my part. Um, it's it's speculation because we don't have any of the surviving writings of the son about this issue. We don't really know. We don't have his responses, or at least I haven't seen them. If they do exist, I, I'm not aware that uh, that there is another side of the story. So, this is the real tragedy of these types of situations. It's the fact that both sides can have valid points, but yet there still is a rift. There still is a rift. But 
making allowances for all these things, I think we can say, I think we can say that Petrarch probably was more at fault here than the son was. Because I think he expected too much. I think he didn't really understand. He was so absorbed in his own studies, in his own uh, literary world, in his own need to provide for himself by uh, writing books that would appeal to the powerful figures of the day so he could get supported financially, that I think he may have lost touch with some of the human concerns of the world that was around him. He had a daughter also. We don't really know much about uh, the relationship uh, between him and his daughter, but uh, it's it's just very tragic. And again, I, I think the lion's share of the fault probably lies with Petrarch here, because, the elder, because he expected too much. And this is really the point of this podcast. I use this historical narrative about Petrarch and his son as a way of explaining the point that I'm trying to make. And that point is, sometimes we have to just let go. Sometimes we cannot expect too much from those we love. We can't expect too much from our friends. We can't expect too much from our families. We can't expect too much from our girlfriends. We can't expect too much from our uh, uh, work colleagues, our associates. And especially for those of you who are servicing clients, if you have a job like a, like I do, like an, as an attorney where you have to service clients, you can't expect too much sometimes from your clients because this is the this is something that that's that's been very frustrating for me and something that I've never really uh, come to grips with in in uh, all my years of practice, which now is about about uh, eighteen years now practicing law. It's that the idea that you can see a solution to a problem, you can know how a problem should be solved. You can you can understand how to lead the horse to water, to put his nose in that oasis of water, but you can't make him drink. You just can't make him drink if he doesn't want to drink. And maybe just like Petrarch's son didn't want to reform himself. That was his way of protesting, maybe. Maybe there was some issue that he had going on, and he didn't know how to express it in any other way other than to be a headache and a thorn in his father's side. Do you think that human nature and human relations have changed? Do you think that just because someone wore a a medieval costume or an ancient costume or or an early modern costume, that that their motivations and their psyches are any different from us now? No, they're exactly the same. Exactly the same. So this is really one of the themes that I've tried to touch on a lot in my writings. We should try to see the world the way others see it. We should try to see the world the way others see it. And we have to understand, we have to get it through our thick skulls that you can't help someone who doesn't want to help themselves. And I've done a podcast on that as well. You can't rescue someone who is not participating in their own rescue, as much as we would like to, as much as we want to. We just can't. And for, as I said at the outset of this podcast, it can be an experience that's very, very frustrating because many of us, I know at least myself, are problem-solving type of individuals. We like to take charge of problems. We like to solve them. We like to wrestle with them. We like to grapple with them. And the idea that we just can't solve every problem is very disturbing. 
But if we're going to maintain our own mental balance, if we're going to maintain our own peace of mind, our own, in Latin we would say, quietas, tranquilitas, tranquilitas animi, tranquility of mind, as Cicero would say, then we have to learn how to let go, and we have to learn that we can't solve every problem. We can't expect too much from others. So that's my point. Learn from the example of Petrarch, who expected too much of his son, and he eventually pushed his son away. He kicked him out of the house. The son was away from him, and he died of the plague in Milan sometime later without really achieving a full reconciliation. And it's no doubt, there's no doubt in my mind, that Petrarch, I think, had some residual feelings of guilt over that. And you can just feel the anguish from the, the quotes that I read to you about what he inscribed in his copy of, of Virgil. And to him, that was important. For him, Virgil was everything. And for him to write that as a testament in the flyleaf of his copy of the book says it all. It says just how uh, tormented Petrarch was by this incident. So we all have to remember that we just can't expect too much from people. We can do our job. And do your, you know, I'm not saying to back off and not do your job. We have to do our job to the best of our ability. We have to go above and beyond the call of duty when necessary. But we cannot wave magic wands and we cannot make people do things they don't want to do, no matter how much we would like to. So that will conclude my podcast here for tonight. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.